listeners, and welcome to this episode of Sell and Gene, the podcast. I'm Erin Harris, Chief Editor of Sell and Gene, and your host for the podcast. My guest for this episode is Dr. Amy Nicole Nyer, VP of U.S. Patient Advocacy and Government Affairs at Novartis Gene Therapies. She's also a member of Sell and Gene's Editorial Advisory Board, and we're honored by that. We're going to jump right in, but first, Amy Nicole, thank you very much for your time. I'm looking forward to a great discussion. Erin, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here and to share thoughts with, uh, with the Cell and Gene community. Oh, excellent, excellent. All right, let's jump right in. So first of all, in your 20 years in the industry, you've worked across medical, commercial, access, and public affairs functions, but you're best known for your work as a patient engagement officer. So first off, why do you think this role patient engagement officer is so critical to the success of selling gene companies today? Sure. You know, I, I think that that role benefits from some experience working in each of those functions, because truly uh, within this role, patient engagement can inform each and every one of those functions within a company, patient insights and also organization partnerships are really essential to what we're all here to do, which is accelerating, bringing our therapies to the patients who need them and de-risking our investment. You know, early patient engagement, there've been several studies, one published by The Economist, looking at the increase um, of likelihood of getting to market by 20% and speeding trial enrollment by 40% uh, through patient engagement, in addition to aiding retention. Um, another simulation by Leviton et al. Uh, showed that patient engagement early in a phase three trial would have resulted in launching six months earlier, meaning a reduction of 2.1 million in cost and an increased net present value of 65 million in costly protocol amendments. So getting those insights early really also is, is key towards uh, helping those of us who are in this space, we know how challenging it is to bring our innovative therapies forward. If we can find ways to accelerate that and de-risk that process, uh, you know, it's absolutely um, something that we want to pursue. And we can do that by gaining patient input on our trial design, on our endpoints, on our recruitment, our stakeholder engagement strategy, our communication strategy in advance. And the key is that this is done so far in advance, you know, preclinical, clinical phases, so that we really can get that, that estimated value. That same study had estimated that an investment of just $100,000 in pre-phase three patient engagement could have generated over $15 million in cost avoidance and 57 million in efficiencies. So this is not a nice to have function. This is a, this is a business critical function. And I think more so in the cell and gene innovative space than in any other. Absolutely. Wow. Those numbers are shocking. Um, and so thank you for the why I want to talk next about the what. So given everything you just said, what do you think patient engagement should encompass in cell and gene, cell and gene companies? What are your thoughts on that? Sure. It's a great question, Erin, because the a lot of folks are, are doing maybe one slice of, of the potential 
that, that can be really harnessed here. Um, patient insights and organization partnerships can inform, of course, the preclinical insights, the clinical development that we just talked about, but also regulatory engagement, ensuring that those decision makers have information on patient perspectives, on risk benefit, what's a meaningful change in their lives. And of course, we've got all the patient-focused drug development initiatives. The FDA is very interested in this, as is the EMA. Policy, um, policy shaping, again, to truly harness the value of our therapies and bring them to the patients who need them. Uh, there are many policy changes that need to take place to really support the value, the continued innovation and access to cell and gene therapies in the future. One example uh, in gene therapy is newborn screening, that early detection and that accelerated uh, path to treatment to end the diagnostic odyssey for those families and to really uh, empower treatment well in advance. That policy shaping needs to happen years before launch and, um, and, and well afterwards. Uh, another area is access. So um, reducing the barriers to patient access, true patient access, um, co-solving those together with the payer community, with the Centers for Medicaid and Medicare Services, understanding how do we set up um, a, a system that is meant with the portability that we have within the U.S., a system that is uh, uh, set up to accommodate a one-time therapy, as many of our therapies are, and uh, to provide value to all the stakeholders in a way that, that supports um, all stakeholders to continue to invest in cell and gene therapies and to continue to provide access to the patients. And then it goes all the way through to generating evidence, generating research, whether that's patient or caregiver data, uh, real-world evidence, clinician-entered data. A lot of the patient organizations are starting up registries where the patients can contribute. They have that, that very rich data. They own the data, and we can work with them together through data-sharing agreements to contribute to that research, to collaborate, and then to provide that evidence that we're all going to need on um, not just the early on the unmet need, the burden, but also the long-term follow-up information that we'll all be asked to provide. Of course, there's also uh, the traditional area of engagement, patient engagement, education, support. What is cell therapy? What is gene therapy? Is it safe for me and my family? Is it a good choice? So working with stakeholders in that area. So it's quite broad um, in terms of the, the space and, and also quite deep in terms of how intimately we can work with the patient-led uh, community uh, to really make a change in our therapy areas. Sure, sure. And and you've led this function globally at Pfizer and AbbVie before joining Avexis, and which is now known as Novartis Gene Therapies. What's different about leading this function in a smaller biotech company that's working in the rare disease space? Sure. It's, it's always been a pleasure and it's, it's been really rewarding to see the growth and the appreciation for the patient voice um, throughout the past several years. Uh, I would say, you know, working in the smaller company, the pace is lightning fast. 
The challenges are sometimes unprecedented and unpredicted. Uh, the team is lean, but I personally find that white space invigorating. You know, there's, there's not a map. Uh, the community of scientists, regulators, KOLs, industry, patient leaders, is so collaborative, so connected to each other. I mean, if just what I just listed, all the different areas that we're working together, our, our patient partners are savvy and impactful in all of those areas. And we encourage each other. I truly find it riveting and highly rewarding to, to work in this white space and kind of figure it out together. That's awesome. That's awesome. And I want to focus a little bit more on specifically the, the page, excuse me, patient engagement officer role itself and the unique challenges that cell and gene companies face. So where and how can a, and does a patient engagement officer help those unique challenges that cell and gene companies face? What are those unique challenges? And then how does a patient engagement officer help to solve them? Sure. Um, there are, you know, we talked a little bit about the, the one-time uh, nature. So if we think about healthcare systems and especially, um, but actually all commercial as well as governmental healthcare systems, they're set up to be population based. And that's the opposite of rare. If you think about it, you know, rare is, is the opposite of patient based. And, and a lot of our cell and gene therapies do treat the rare community. So it is unique for us to, um, to harness the, uh, the, the, that broader healthcare system that really wasn't set up for our therapies to uh, shape the policy, to shape the access systems, um, to accommodate uh, the, uh, the innovation that we're offering here that is so transformative for these families but um, oftentimes what we find is because this is rare, uh, we're, we're, we're having to uh, educate pediatricians, for example, um, who are seeing their very first uh, child with a given disorder and they're unfamiliar with gene therapy or they're unfamiliar with, um, with the disease state. And so there's a lot of education because previously many of these treatments, many of these families did not have a treatment option. Um, or, or certainly one that was a, a one-time uh, therapeutic option. And so we need to support all of those stakeholders. And often what I found is that patients and the KOLs kind of get it first. So they understand the, the transformative value of the therapies. They're able to bring their voice to other decision makers, regulators, um, uh, payers, and others to help them understand how meaningful this option is for them as a treatment and how we all really need to work together to create a new system that can support them having access to it. Sure, sure. That's that's incredible. Now, I want to talk a little bit about, so earlier in our call, you talked about how the pace of innovation is lightning fast and the team is lean, yet you are able to at Novartis Gene Therapies do exceptional work in, you know, 
probably a very short amount of time. But what I want to talk about is, you know, what inspires you specifically to keep innovating at this kind of breakneck pace and working the long hours and what have you, all that it takes to solve the tough challenges you and your team are faced with every day? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. You know, it, it is, it is longer hours, right? It is, but, but I'm, I'm absolutely riveted by this space. It's, it's the patient stories. It's the impact. You know, I worked in a gene therapy lab um, almost 20 years ago uh, doing discovery work. And uh, at that time I thought, "Mm, you know what? This might not ever impact a patient. I need to move to another part of the industry. I just don't know if gene therapies are going to make it and, uh, and, and, and work out. And to be a part of doing that now, um, it, it, to me, it's still magic. It's still, it's still absolutely magnificent. And, and to be a part of the patient stories that are you know, one family's life. I was a, a sibling um, who, uh, of, of, of someone who, you know, struggled with a, a disease in his childhood, my brother. And, um, and when he got the right treatment, everything changed for our whole family. And now I'm a part of bringing that to other families through this work now. And I know what that meant for me. And it's just a ripple effect that we're all creating one family at a time, one life-changing therapy at a time. Um, I really can't imagine doing anything better with, with my life and, and, and what I have to give. It's, it's so rewarding. So that's what really keeps me going when we have setbacks, when we have um, you know, areas of challenge. Uh, I can't stop. I can't stop working on it because this is, this is what I feel I was, I was kind of put here to do. For sure. I was going to say, I think you're right where you are meant to be. And uh, your background and your story is inspiring. And there is a real level of altruism that goes with really anyone who has dedicated their careers to cell and gene therapy. And the and certainly over the past however many years that it has just skyrocketed in terms of the real you know, change it can make in patients' lives. Yeah. And that, that's what I, that's what I find. I find a sense of community, um, among, uh, peers that, that could have been competitive, but it's not, it's truly collaborative and we're all helping each other, um, innovate in the space. And that's a great feeling. It's a great environment to be a part of. Awesome. Love it. That's wonderful. Um, well, we've formally concluded the, uh, regular question set that we we typically go through. But at the end of each episode, uh, Cell and Jean, the podcast listeners know that I like to get a glimpse of who my guests are when they're not uh, spending long hours uh, in their offices or the labs to uh, further along whatever therapy it is that they're working on. So here's my question for you. Describe your ideal Saturday. Sure. So, uh, I, I live in Illinois, um, uh, close to about three miles from Lake Michigan. And so my ideal Saturday would be getting up pretty early and uh, riding um, 
bikes to the beach with my kids. Um, so uh, I have a, uh, they just turned eight and 10 last mm-hmm. weekend. And um, it's such a wonderful time. And I just, I really enjoy the journey to the beach, maybe even more than being at the beach, just passing the town and, and um, seeing all the green leaves and, and the beauty and just really being present in the moment there um, and, you know, being, being at the beach with them and, and riding back. And then we'll probably do a Peloton class because we like to do Peloton together. So that's wonderful. (laughs) That sounds pretty ideal. Maybe ending with a barbecue. sounds like a good Saturday to me. That is wonderful. And I applaud that your children who are just about exactly my children's ages are do Peloton classes with you. I think that's wonderful, but also the family trips to, like you said, the outdoors and to the beach and just the fresh air, it'll, it'll change your whole perspective. Yeah, sure does. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, all right, listeners, that wraps up this episode of Cell and Gene, the podcast. And thanks again to my guest, Dr. Amy Nicole Nyer, for her time and insight. It has been a pleasure. And Amy Nicole, I hope you will join us back soon to give us an update. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Erin. Absolutely. All right, everyone. Talk soon.